One mic, one voice. You can change the world, it's your choice. One mic, one voice. You can change the world, it's your choice. One mic, one voice. You can change the world, it's your choice. One mic, one voice. You can change the world, it's your choice. What's going on in the world today? Tune in and take a listen. Yeah, brother, we got some feedback. Voice, we, we gotta stop the violence and stop the killing. Cops and you say what, brother? Like every name, brr. No, I don't, I, don't, I don't hear it on my end. Oh, okay. Is it loud? Yeah, like, yeah, it comes in a couple of times. Brr. No, I don't even see it on my audio. Okay. Do you hear it now at all? No, I'll hear it now. Okay. Do you hear it? Let me know if you hear it while the music is playing, okay? We gotta treat our women better. Team work, make the dream work. I'm sick of seeing our people painting on the front of a t shirt. Do you hear it at all? Yeah, now I just heard it. You say it sounds like a, like a, like a, just a, a quick burst of feedback. Yeah, just heard it right there. Well, I'll listen in to my phone as well when we go live to see if I hear it on there. Because I can't hear anything on my end. And I don't know if that's maybe like the Zoom audio trying to balance my mic and also the music. Um, and just having issues with it, but... All right, brother, we're about to go ahead and start. Okay. Let's have a good show. There's quite a bit that has transpired this week, and we are here to talk it up. 
I hope you had a fantastic week still in the midst of the pandemic, trying to make sense of it all like me. It's not an easy job to do. We are in different times. I would say even more challenging times than in the past. And this past week, uh, we lost an iconic figure. We lost someone that is many consider to be one of the most pivotal leaders in the area of seeking transparency and access to voting. I titled this podcast today, When Will Change Come? When Will Change Come? Some of us are under the assumption that we are in the midst of change. Some of us have concluded that we have changed enough. And some of us have come to the conclusion that there's nothing wrong. Matter of fact, we can go back. The iconic figure that I'm speaking of today is Congressman John Lewis. Now it's, I have to keep in mind, and I encourage you to, that not everybody is engaged with the political history, realities, culture of our times. There are many people that are disconnected that know very little about American history, very little about blackery and any other form of historical contributions to this American experience. So I have to always remind myself that I'm not always preaching to the choir, that there are some that don't know um, the things that I'm trying to pontificate uh, to a world that I think thrives erratically without understanding the past. So I want to take a look at John Lewis' life. Not I, There is no way to sum up this man's life in an hour, a day, an hour. The boy from Troy he tells a story about how Dr. King would always, um, Dr. King would always come to, when he saw Dr. King, Dr. King would say, how is the boy from Troy? He grew up in Troy, Alabama. And from an early age, um, and we'll hear in his own words, he, who can tell a story or recount a story um, better than the original narrator of it. So Brother Lewis, will we will hear in his own word. He talks about how um, he was mentored by the greats, 
Dr. King, A. Philip Randolph, and so many others that poured into his life. And at an early age, he was inspired to get into the movement because of the injustice he saw. Um, there was something different about John Lewis, something quite remarkable, something that very few of us uh, find uh, instilled within our personality, and some would say even within our DNA. This ability to see the world, not just through the eyes or the prism of what is best for me, but through the eyes of what is best for others. So he was a rare, a rare gem, a creative force, a genius, a practitioner, um, one that, in his own words, willing to die for. And so he is known best for his work with trying to secure the right to vote. Now let's think about that for a moment. Fighting for the right to vote. You remember this title is, When Will Change Come? Black people have been waiting 401 years for change to come. Black people have been fighting the same battles, generation after generation. It's the same thing. It's the right to vote. How much, and again, I, I know I'm speaking to some people that are not engaged in the political realities of our times, but voter suppression is accurate in this country. Gerrymandering has created districts that it's impossible for um, the opposition uh, to either side to win. Um, we have electoral college that has been <laughs> questioned whether it is legitimate or not to have in a democracy where everyone's vote should have the same weight. Um, so I say to you that black people are still fighting for the same things that the young John Lewis fought for in his early 20s. Um, there's a couple of links that will be attached to this episode that I will not go into detail, but I encourage you to watch. Uh, there is uh, to, to, to look at, to read. Uh, it's about his, um, his activism and the student um, nonviolent coordinating committee, SNCC, as it's known, and their work in Selma and other places, also Freedom Summer. If you haven't seen, there's a, there's, you can, I believe it's on Netflix, uh, Freedom Summer. It's a book based upon a book, but it's based upon uh, the 1960 uh, rise through the South to desegregate uh, all uh, accommodations and so forth and, and, um, and so we, we'll hear a little bit about that when we go to the show. And I think there's some other links as well. 
But the boy from Troy, what, when will change come? And I say to you today that if we are continuing to fight for the same thing, 60, 100, 200, 300, 400 years ago, what has changed? Can you really say that things have changed? I mean, we have to start having some really difficult conversations in this country. Conversations that we are afraid to have. Conversations that, frankly, those in charge run from. I'm sick and tired of hearing people talk about how passionate they are about America being a place for everybody. While we have kids in cages. I'm tired of people talking about how much they love country because it's based upon freedom and equality. But yet and still, they won't pour any money to minority urban education system. I'm tired of people saying that they won't change when they promote to these new committees people that know are not going to challenge, challenge the status quo. Folks, when will change come? I'm tired. I'm worn out. I am exhausted at the rhetoric that comes out of the mouth of people in charge that do nothing. Oh, I'm tired of it. I'm tired of false hope. Hope means that something will come to pass. You're hoping in something that has the probability, the opportunity to come to pass. And what I see today, I don't see opportunity. I see dream killers. I see people that block progress. For goodness sakes, the Trump administration just, just they're trying to dismantle the Fair Housing Act and make it more difficult for poor people, for black and brown people, for poor white people. Stop believing in their rhetoric. It's not what you say, it's what you do. How can we honor John Lewis? He was a man about fair voting. Because in fair voting, right, everybody's voice is heard. It's not just the rich and powerful that influence elections. We want to change this country, but there's a, a, a bill on the desk of the majority leader in Congress right now that has been passed by the House that he won't even bring to the floor. Yeah, and it's about voting.
and we'll get into that. But first of all, I want to listen to this video from MSNBC. The loss of an icon, John Lewis. Let's take a listen. He has fought for those ideals and saw some degree of success, uh, saw the passage of the civil, uh, the, the civil rights uh, bill. He saw, the, he saw himself elected to Congress, spent 17 terms in Congress. Uh, but in the end, uh, he is witnessing a movement that looks very much like the movement that he was involved in in the 60s. Oh, that's precisely why I chose to put on this hoodie. Uh, shout out to uh, Cliff and Latasha with Black Voters Matter, uh, because uh, he understood what they were doing. And the fact that black folks today are fighting the exact same battle that he and others were engaged in, uh, and a part of that, a significant part of that still deals with voting. Um, I know in the midst of all of this, folks uh, don't necessarily um, want to be so in, uh, talked about politics. But when I look at the last night, the statement of Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, which I thought was a worthless piece of paper, because here's the piece. I don't want to hear any Republican today, Lord Congressman John Lewis, when sitting on his desk is a bill to fix the Voting Rights Act after the Supreme Court Shelby mm -hmm. v. Holder decision, which John Lewis fought for. John Lewis died with that bill sitting on McConnell's desk. And so all of these wonderful words about him, uh, for me, mean nothing when they were unwilling when he was alive to do what was right. And it's, we, ha we haven't just lost Congressman John Lewis. Yesterday, we also lost Reverend Dr. C.T. Vivian. 95 years old, fierce yep. fighter who did who was who was right there with him. In March, we lost Reverend Dr. Joseph Lowry. That's 273 collective years of knowledge that we have lost. Three civil rights titans. And I was texting Eric Holder last night, and I sent him a photo. And it was a photo of John Lewis, Lowry, Vivian, uh, and Andrew Young. And this is what he called them. He said the second set of founding fathers. That puts into context what these men and the women who also fought what really meant to us, black folks, but also this country. Uh, and, and Nicole, you have actually, um, you've been writing about this. You've been writing about the reconsideration of American history. And not only do you uh, sort of think about the maybe a second set of founding fathers, but you go back before the first set of founding fathers to the role that Africans, African Americans have played in American history. And to this day, just last week, um, the Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo, named your work specifically as a rewriting of history. Uh, John Lewis and others faced similar criticisms at the time that, that they are trying to change American history. Yesterday, uh, Donald Trump talked about the threat to suburbs, the threat to uh, people's way of life, the crime that's going to come into their neighborhoods if Joe Biden is elected. The language of oppression in 2020 sounds like the language of oppression in 1960 and 1963 and 1867 and 1776 and 1690. Absolutely. I mean, it's kind of this amazing and, and rev revealing juxtaposition to have Mike Pompeo saying, how dare you argue that slavery is foundational to America, that racism is foundational to America, and then Trump uh, goes live 
using the same racist dog whistles that we have heard since the founding of this country. And, and that he understands politically the only card he has left to play right now is anti-black racism. So it, it's interesting times that we're in. And I actually take it as a compliment when people say that that the work that we're doing with the 1619 Project is revising history, because history has needed to be revised. We have needed to be more honest about what we are and who we are as a country. And few people understood that better than John Lewis. Uh, I have to second what Roland said. When I interviewed John Lewis in 2014 to commemorate Freedom Summer, which was the attempt to democratize Mississippi, as well as the country, he said that uh, Shelby V. Holder made him want to cry, that all of the work, the work that got his, his head bashed in, was being undone. And so when we do have Republican congressmen who are offering their condolences and yet not standing up for the very rights that he fought for and put his line, life on the line for, it is hard to take that with sincerity. This has been the story of black people in this country, on this land, since the beginning, is we have been the perfectors of this democracy. And as I say in the 1619 Project, as much democracy as we have has always been born on the backs of black resistance. And we still have black people fighting in the streets for that democracy now. Back with me, Nicole Hannah-Jones, Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist for the New The idea of fighting the same fights um, is that encouraging? Is it encouraging to look back to canvas history and see that you're fighting the same fights that your great, great, great grandparents fought? Is that encouraging? I don't think it is. So you say America has changed. For who? For who? These are the conversations we need to have and the questions we need to examine and to answer. For who? Rewrite history. Let's talk about revisionists. Is it possible to revise a lie? Or is it possible simply to write the truth? American history is full of fantasy. Is full of a narrative that paints a picture that is false. And then we build our education system based upon this false reality. Black people have been the conscious and native people have been the conscious of this country to remind you that that history is false. But who is listening? Many times the very notion of challenging 
the falsehood of this history, a person is labeled unpatriotic. You don't love this country. If you don't like it here, leave. Because I am correcting the lie, I should leave. Because I refuse to live in a fantasy, I should leave. Because I'm a seeker of truth, I should leave. That's the reason we are in this situation today because we fear the truth. We fear the truth and the accountability to that truth. What John Lewis was trying to do is right the wrongs of America to bring those in the shadows to the forefront, to give voice to the voiceless, to get folks in office that understood that, that maybe one day, that maybe one day America would live up to its founding promises. He won't see it. He won't see it. That's the tragedy. That's the tragedy to work all of your life for something you will not see. Oh, that's a tragedy. But he has placed that burden upon us that maybe through us, some will see. Folks, we're going to take a break, but we're going to come back and we're going to hear from John Lewis in his words, uh, some of the last words he spoke. Uh, we will take a listen. When will change come? We'll be right back. Oklahoma Humanities Brain Box podcast uses the humanities to take listeners on a deep dive into the issues affecting American society and culture. Join some of Oklahoma's most interesting and knowledgeable humanities scholars to explore how history, literature, ethics, philosophy, and other humanities fields inform our understanding of current events and the human experience. And to find the Brain Box podcast, simply search Brain Box podcast on iTunes, Podbean, Google Play, and any other podcasting library. If you have any ideas or comments rattling around in your noggin, email us at brainbox at okhumanities.org. This is Dr. Laura Gelat, and when I listen to podcasts, I always listen to the One Mic, One Voice show. back folks talking about John Lewis today 
when will change come? When will change come? Let's take a listen to Brother Lewis, um, the Washington Post uh, interview, I believe. And Mr. Lewis responded, let's take a listen and come back. Alabama, about 50 miles from Montgomery. And growing up there during the 40s, I saw those signs that said white men, colored men, white women, colored women, white waiting, colored waiting. I didn't like those signs, and I wanted to do something about it. In 1955, when I was 15 years old, I heard about Rosa Parks. I heard the words of Martin Luther King Jr. on the radio. The action of Rosa Parks and the words of Martin Luther King Jr. inspired me. So I wrote this letter to Dr. King. I didn't tell my mother, I didn't tell my father, my sisters, my brothers, my teachers. Dr. King wrote me back and sent me a round-trip Greyhound bus ticket and invited me to come to Montgomery to meet with him. In 1961, as a participant in the sit-ins of 1959 and 1960, I received a invitation from Corps to Congress of Racial Equality to participate in the Freedom Rides in 1961. In 1961, the same year that President Barack Obama was born, black people and white people could be seated on a bus. We got off the bus and we started into a so-called white waiting room. We were beaten by members of the Klan. They beat us. They left us lying in a pool of blood. The local police officials came up, wanted to know whether we wanted to press charges. We said, no, we come with peace. We believe in the way of love. We believe in the philosophy and the discipline of nonviolence. The Freedom Rides led to the desegregation of public transportation all across the South. In 1965, a group of young people, students and others, attempted to cross the Edmund Pettus Bridge in Selma, Alabama, to march 50 miles from Selma to Montgomery to dramatize to the nation and to the world that people wanted simply to register to vote. They came toward us, beating us with nightsticks and bull whips, tramping us with horses and releasing the tear gas. At the foot of that bridge, I was beaten. I thought I was going to die. I thought I saw death. But if dying was necessary, to make it possible for hundreds and thousands and millions of people to be able to participate in a democratic process. That was a price to pay. My simple message would be, if you find something that you feel very strong about, stand up, speak up, speak out, give it your all, push, pull, and as I said from time to time, never, ever give up or give in or give out. And whatever you do, do it with faith and hope and much love. Never, ever.
give up. When you look at the life of John Lewis, he said he was 15. When in other words, he got the call, the inspiration, the tugging at his heart, his inability to escape the words of Dr. King, compelled so much to write King, to meet King and be known as a boy from Troy. 15, some of us live our whole life and never understand the simple truths that this 15 year old boy This truth that arrested him and took him on a life journey of servitude to others. Clearly, clearly, we can be inspired by such commitment, not to self, but to others. We can learn from Brother John in the sense that he was courageous, fearless. He went into the belly of the beast, so to speak, in Mississippi, Selma. People lost their lives. He was willing to lose his life. The greatest of sacrificial ideas and thoughts and perception about my life has value, but I'm willing to lay it down for the good of others. He was passionate. He had love for the enemy. That's, uh, I heard uh, Representative Clyborne said that he was supposed to meet John at, um, I believe it was um, when he was on doing the freedom rides and, and uh, Clyborne had just gotten married and Think his wife was pregnant at the time and she urged him not to go and he said well I, I'm, it's probably a good idea that I could go because I wasn't as nonviolent as John was to love the enemy to turn the other cheek was principles of Christ John wanted to be a minister he his sisters tell the story that every day when he went to school he would dress up and he would have his suit on and his tie and he would carry his Bible I said there was something different about him. Not all of us can, can achieve such enlightenment when it comes to turning the other cheek. Not all of us have that capacity to be kicked, beaten, humiliated, jailed without latching out ourselves. 
he had love for those even he disagreed with and even those who beat him and wounded him. Elijah says, it is so eerie and sad to hear of the beatings, beating young black men received then and how awful it resembles their treatment today by law enforcement in the Klan. Yeah, that wraps up our whole conversation in the fact that we are still fighting the same things. Yes, yeah, they were beating black people back then. after slavery, beat them simply because they didn't want them to vote. They didn't want them to sit at the counter to eat. They didn't want them to ride in the front of the bus. They didn't want them to drink at the same water fountain. Imagine that. They didn't want them to use the same bathroom. Blacks were simply beaten for trying to have the same rights not more rights, not rights that would infringe upon the white dominant culture's rights, but the same rights as a human being. They were beaten. And today, we're fighting for the same rights. That when I get pulled over, that I'm treated with the same respect and dignity, that I'm not seen as a threat and that I'm not choked out for eight minutes and 46 seconds simply because of the color of my skin. Yes, we're fighting for the same rights. Brother John, he believed in servitude. I've already mentioned he had a willingness to die. Let's go back to servitude. Many people today want to serve themselves especially those in leadership and those in power. They only want to make decisions that benefit them. They want to stay away from controversy because it will hurt their career. They don't think about the impact that decisions have on others, only on themselves, only what's best for them. And it's only works for you if it's, if it's, if it's, if it's best for them. Somehow you can, you can, you know, get some crumbs from the master's table, maybe. That's the problem. We're self-serving nation. Even this argument with the mask. Even this, as ridiculous. I spent 13 years in the United States Navy. It was a lot of sacrifice. I did a lot of things I didn't want to do. But I did it for my country. I did it so that folks could have the freedom. But I also did it because America should be a place where people care about fellow citizens. You don't go to defend your country for yourself. You go to defend your country for your family for your friends, for your community, for your fellow citizens. And to look around and to see these citizens that could care less. Let's, let's not even talk about the science. The science is out there. These people that are talking about masks don't work, it's, it, that's just ridiculous. It's ridiculous. 
It's not even worth even entertaining the argument. But to know that over 140,000 people have lost their lives, I've lost relatives to COVID-19. And for you to say that your freedom is being taken away because you have to wear a mask? What about this, the freedom of black people enslaved? What about the freedom of the native peoples whose land was stolen from them? Well, they're still trying to take pipelines through sacred land. What about the Japanese when they were placed in internment camps? Huh? What about when blacks couldn't drink at the same fountain? What about Jim Crow? What about black codes? What about convict leasing? What about the Klan? What about lynching? And you tell me your freedom is being taken away? That's a joke. Because you have to put on a mask. If that's the only time you have been inconvenienced in your life, that is a joke. Black people are inconvenienced each and every day in this country. What rights did Breonna Taylor have? Was her freedom evaded when she was sleeping and they came in and shot her? Aubrey Aubrey, all, all, Brother Aubrey, when he was in his house, minding his own business, and he was shot to death, was his freedom invaded? Brother George, what about Trayvon walking home with a pack of Skittles in his pocket? Was his freedom invaded? You talk to me about mass. John Lewis was about servitude. Advocacy for those who did not have a voice. The problem with America is internal. It's always been. Well, now it's external because of our international policy, but that's a whole different thing. In December, as I mentioned earlier, the House Democrats passed the Voting Rights Advancement Act of 2019, which would restore certain key protections of the 1965, let me repeat that, of the 1965 Voting Rights Act against racial discrimination that the Supreme Court struck down in 2013. So in other words, if a state wanted to change something, they had to run it by the Justice Department. They're no longer gonna do that. So they can reduce polling places. Ah, they couldn't do that before that. They had to, they had to run it by. They had to get it approved because of a history, a legacy, especially in the South, of suppressing the vote. But the Supreme Court got rid of that. Supreme Court said, we're beyond that. We're past that. We're fine now. And that's why you have some places where you have three polling places for 100,000 people. That's not suppressing the vote. When people are waiting in line in the last election for three, four hours to vote, that's not suppressing the vote. 
where people are being purged from the voters' rolls, where their polling stations are being changed. That's not voter suppression. This was John Lewis's life's work. And as Roland Martin said, this man went to his grave with this bill on the majority leader's desk with no life in it, with no life in it. Mm. This is what um, John Lewis said regarding this bill. I've said this before and I will say it again. The vote is precious. It is almost sacred. It is the most powerful nonviolent tool we have in our democracy. You know, I see these things on Facebook, social media. Man, I tell you what, in death, you people look good in death. Hey, they, I mean, everybody loves you when you die. I mean, if you haven't murdered people, you know, but everybody, everybody prays you. Doesn't matter what they're religious or political affiliation is, they love you. They praise you in death. But in life, they have no time for you. You're insignificant. You don't matter. But in death, oh, John Lewis, great civil rights icon. Did so much for the country. And, but yet and still, you won't pass the bill that he dedicated his life to ensure the rights of people to vote. Again, I'm tired of rhetoric. Words, yeah, they're powerful. But words without action is nothing. It's like a symbol without a sound. Hmm? An instrument out of tune. Yeah. A wind that you cannot feel. A sun that brings no heat. Yeah. Hmm. That's what words are without action. So many people have went to their grave fighting for things that they never saw come to a reality. This includes Brother John. It is up to us to make this a reality, not just black, not just white, not just the Latino community, the Jewish community, but all of us, the Asian community, all of us must 
in the fight. Bring change. I don't want to see huh, a world 10 years from now, 15 years from now. I probably won't see it 20 years from now. I don't want to close my eyes at the end of my days, still fighting for the same things that John Lewis, Dr. King, Rosa Parks, and so many others fought for. Enough is enough. When will change come? because history will speak of us. Somewhere in the distant future, a scribe will reach down deep into the archives of our time and what will she find? Will she discover that we overcame our differences? Will she find that out of many, we became one? Will she find that we solved nothing and remain a divided people? Yes, history will speak of us. We can be the change that's in our life. All we gotta do is work together. We gotta raise our children better. We gotta stop the hate, stop the hate, and spread the love. One mic, one voice. You can change the world, it's your choice. One mic, one voice. You can change the world, it's your choice. One mic, one Thank you for downloading the One Mic, One Voice show. This episode is brought to you by Blackened Studios. To learn more about Blackened Studios, go to blackenedstudios.com or visit their Facebook page. The views and opinions of the One Mic, One Voice podcast show do not reflect the views of Blackened Studios or our other sponsors. Another show in the books, brother. All right, man. How long was it? Ah, uh, let me see. This is Dr. Laura at about, George, and when I listen to podcasts, 48, I always 49-ish. listen to the One Mic, One um, Voice show.